Well, up the coast from us is the town of Monterey, California. And it said it used to be a pelican's paradise. Because after fishermen would clean their catch, they'd throw the scraps to the sea, and the pelicans would have just a free feast on demand and have to work for it. And so the birds eventually grew pretty fat. They grew lazy. And over time, they even stopped fishing. They didn't need to. Their food was just fed to them every day and just free meals. But over time, the fishing moved out of Monterey, and so there was no longer a free meal for the pelicans. But they had become so used to their free meal that they made no effort to fish. They just continued to to wait around in that area to be fed. And as a result, many grew quite frail and skinny, and some even starved to death. And they had seemingly forgotten how to fish for themselves. And so to save the pelicans, it would have been counterproductive just to feed them again, because you're just... They'll never learn. They'll they'll always be there. But to solve the problem, new pelicans were imported from the south who were still accustomed to fishing for themselves. And they were placed alongside these starving pelicans. And the newcomers immediately started catching fish the old-fashioned way for a pelican, I guess. And seeing their example, these starving pelicans followed suit and they relearned or quickly remembered how to fish again. And they got back to their old ways. And the famine ended. And so the illustration, which is true, highlights the power of example, especially a living example. When it comes to learning, there's just something so powerful about having an example. It's one thing to tell someone what to do. It's another to show them. And I think most of us would say we, we learn, we seem to learn so much better just with an example. I, I certainly learn quite well by example, which is why I think, you know, YouTube has led to a real renaissance in learning, in my opinion even though there's plenty of of garbage on there. At the same time, I've become just a basic handyman, carpenter, gardener, and painter, and more just by watching YouTube videos. I do not really know what I'm doing, but I can watch someone do it. I can mimic pretty good and just get along. I think it's just true for life. It's true for learning. It's not hard to say God has designed us in a way to learn by example. And so is it any surprise to learn that this is true for the Christian life as well? So much of the Christian life is learned by example. And we follow first and foremost the example of Christ. He shows us more than any what it means to know God and follow God, to serve God, and worship God. But we're given other examples as well. The apostles and prophets of the New Testament serve as our examples of how to follow Christ. We see other fallen yet redeemed men live out the Christian life. We benefit from their example. And that's not all, though, because God and his wisdom and providence, he's given the church living examples in every generation, men and women who are themselves following Christ, people who are alive today that we can tangibly follow, follow their lead. And our spiritual leaders in the church, they are given by God to us partly to serve as our examples of how to, how to live out the Christian life. And so as they follow Christ, we can follow them. This is true for all of us as sheep in the church. But naturally, what do you think the implications of this are for those who are shepherds or who aspire to be leaders or disciplers? Well, it means you're going to be the example. It's going to be you to be the next generation of godly leaders who lead the way, who show the example of, here's how it's done. Here's how to follow Christ in 21st century America. 
Leaders need to live out their faith in such a way as to prove themselves examples for the flock. And for them, the stakes are higher. Because if they fail to walk the walk, they, will, they can do a lot of damage. They can stumble those who follow them and lead them astray. But as they pursue Christ with intensity and integrity, well, many will be sanctified and at the very least led the way of the Lord. This is why the Bible has so much to say about the example of biblical leadership. And that's what this lesson is tonight. We're here, I think, is lesson six in our series on biblical leadership. And this one is titled, The Example of Biblical Leadership. And for biblical leaders, if you are to be a discipler, a teacher, a shepherd, a leader of any sort in the church, even in the home, few things matter as much as your example. And so, as we continue to lay the foundation in this series on biblical leadership, it's only right for us now to devote an entire lesson to the, the central role your example must play in your leadership. If you are to be a leader in the church, you are going to be an example for others to follow. I guess the only question is, are you going to be a, a good and godly example or not? You will leave some example. Let's pray it's the right one. So our focus tonight to just to study and to flesh out this, this topic, the example of biblical leadership. And even non-Christians throughout history have observed what makes a leader great. What makes a person worth following? Aristotle, for instance, coined the three modes of persuasion. They stand true for rhetoric. They stand true for leadership. You know, what, what does it take to persuade people to follow you? To persuade people to your point of view? How do you get people to you know, do what you say? Follow your lead. Go with you. Well, he observed it takes three things. Ethos, pathos, and logos. In reverse order, logos or logos, it's an appeal to logic. This is where you lead others by persuading to reason, to facts, to the data. You're appealing to truth, the truth content to make your case. Next comes pathos. That's an appeal to emotion where you seek to convince others to follow you by both showing yourself to be emotionally invested and also seeking to create an emotional response in others. Pathos is the passion of a leader. So there's logos, that's your mind. Pathos, your passion, your heart. And then would come next, ethos. This is an appeal to ethics, your life. This speaks to the authority or credibility of a leader or a speaker. For a doctor, this would be his medical degree. For a Christian leader, though, what is this? It's just your life. It's your moral life, a life of godliness. That's your credibility. Any leader, though, who is a hypocrite will quickly lose credibility among his followers. Even if you have outstanding pathos and logos, you have a lot of passion and you say the right things, but if your life is that of a hypocrite, who's, who's going to follow you? Who, who should follow you? Aristotle derived these three modes of persuasion just by observing human nature, and he did so astutely. In many ways, these are just common sense, and Scripture would affirm that, look, what you believe what you say, how you live, are essential to leadership. Your, your mind, your heart, your life. Yeah, that, that's going to impact whether or not people will follow you. And just think of Christ, for example. Imagine he came as you know him. He, he taught amazing messages like the Sermon on the Mount, deep, profound truths. 
He healed the sick, raised the dead, walked on water, showed love for the poor, and he did so passionately, even weeping over the sheep. But what if behind the scenes, he was extremely immoral? And the disciples, you know, they're living with Christ. They find out that he's, he's a drunk, he's a drug addict, he's sexually immoral, he's a thief, he's a liar. You think they'd still follow him? You see, obviously his, his credibility would have been reduced to zero. You know, all of his teaching, all of his profound teaching on truth and love and righteousness would have just been worth nothing coming from someone without credibility who's living a life contrary to what he's teaching. The disciples unless they themselves were extremely wicked, never would have followed him. Now, of course, thankfully, Jesus did not live an immoral life. And to the contrary, he lived a perfect life, free from a single sin. And in in doing so, he gave us the ultimate example of the true man and the ultimate credibility, you might say. This is part of what qualifies him as our supreme leader. But you see from this the power of personal example in leadership. We can all too easily focus on, on just the content, which, look, they all matter, right? The content, the truth content, being persuasive. That, you know, that's good. That matters. That can get a lot of our attention. Or, or the passion, you're kind of getting riled up. or getting people riled up. Hey, there's a place for that too, passion. There should be passion in what we do. But don't, don't sleep on ethos. Don't, don't sleep on your ethics, how you live. That is just the, the foundation for your leadership because if that's missing, it doesn't really matter what you say and how passionately you say it. We're not going to follow you. We shouldn't follow you. In fact, that's one of the ID tags of a false teacher. There's such a, a double life behind what he says or does. All this goes to say example matters. Example in leadership matters a lot. And with the rest of our time this evening, we're just going to drive this point home. In so many ways, this will be like last week. We're just focused on a single point and just did, did a Bible study to, to show you and, and try and drive this deep conviction in your heart. Last time, covering the identity of the biblical leader or the identity of biblical leadership, which is sacrificial servant. Remember? And now we want to do the, the same thing, really just time focusing on, on the example of biblical leadership. And really part and parcel with your identity as a servant, as a servant leader, is, is your example, to lead by example. And so we want to flesh this out with his own Bible study so that you can see firsthand from Scripture the non-negotiable necessity of being a, a godly example in leadership. <clears throat> it's great, but it's not enough to have logos, you know, great content, truth content, It's great to have intensity and passion, pathos, but you must be an example of of what it means to follow Christ, the ethos. You need to be one who genuinely lives out the Christian life first. That's part of your qualification for leadership. That's not an afterthought. That, That should come first. And then you will find that God will use you and your example to, to speak volumes. So let's now just transition. Let's do, like last week, just a Bible study to, to feed off the truth of the Word and to impress upon you that this deep need for biblical leaders to be godly examples. That's it. It's the need for biblical leaders to be godly examples first, first and foremost. Here, look at this in two parts. We'll begin with 
our examples, meaning the examples given to us in Scripture. So let's just start with our examples, and then we'll see our example, how we are to be an example. But just, let's just affirm and establish at, to begin the, the value of examples in Scripture. We learn that you know, really from the fact that in the Bible, we see that God, he doesn't just tell us what to do. He doesn't just merely command us on how to live, but he also exhorts us to follow certain examples. He, in a way, shows us what to do by giving us examples to follow. And so we find that God himself establishes the primacy of examples, the need for examples in the Christian life. And this begins with him. We're told to be like him. So let's start with divine examples, right? We're looking at our examples, the examples God has given to us to begin. Let's begin with divine examples, starting with God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 1 and some others, but look, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start with God the Father, just the example of God in general for us. Ephesians 5.1. I'm going to start reading, but I'll let you turn there, so keep turning to Ephesians 5. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. This word for imitator and its word group in the New Testament speaks of following, mimicking, emulating. It's used in the art world of performers or artists who learn by copying someone who came before them, copying one of the greats. That's often how we learn. Most artists develop their own style, not automatically, but after years of imitating others. Like Picasso did not begin by painting abstract art. That didn't come until later. He began by copying Degas and others, just just learning how to paint. Then he developed his own style. Same for athletes. They often learn better from Example, then explanation. Not really that into golf, but it's a great story. Phil Mickelson, a pro golfer, he's right-handed in life. Everything, he does everything right-handed, but he golfs left-handed. It's a left-handed swing. And many wondered why, and asked him one time, and he, he explained that as he was growing up, just I think from a toddler on up, he learned to swing, to play golf from his dad. And he would just mimic his dad. And his dad would just be maybe practicing a swing in the living room, and he would stand opposite his dad and just do what his dad did. But standing opposite, his dad was a right-handed swing, so he's standing like a mirror image of his dad, so he was swinging as his dad swung right hand, mirror image, he was swinging left hand. So he just learned by mimicking his father to play golf, and now he swings left-handed. I guess he does pretty good. But it's the power of example. If a picture, picture is worth a thousand words, well, an example, I guess, is worth a million. This passage says, God is our Father, we're His beloved children, and He wants us to be like Him. And that, that's a good thing. We see that in our own lives. We're delighted when our children want to be like us and to follow us. Like our daughter Olivia loves to wear matching outfits with Angel. And yesterday I was working in the garage with some, you know, power drill. And Noah yelled at the top of the stairs. I thought something was wrong. He just wanted to tell me something, though. He wanted to announce that he had found his cardboard power drill and that he was playing with it, just that his didn't have batteries. But he wanted to let me know that he was doing what I was doing. It's natural for kids to want to imitate their parents and to be like their parents until they become teenagers, and then it's like the exact opposite. Something switches. But, you know, anyway. God 
is delighted to have us follow him, to be like him. And he sets himself up as our example to the degree that we can be like him. We're obviously not omnipresent, but to the degree we can be like him, we are to be like him. So let me ask you, what are some legitimate ways we should emulate and imitate God? Forgiveness. Isn't that the verse like right before Ephesians 5.1? Look there, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. So the, the moral exhortation for us to forgive others is based off of God's example. We forgive as he forgave. Very good. Any others? Love others. Yeah, we look at the love of God and sending Christ. We were to emulate that love. Saw some of that this morning. Joey? Yeah, mercy. Praying for others. Following Christ's example in that regard. Mercy would be uh, Luke 6.36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Again, the we're called to follow his lead. Or Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now we fall short in all of these, but that's still the standard. We are to aspire to his more perfection. God himself sets the righteous standard for our lives. So it's only natural that he's our primary example in everything. It's true for God the father. It's naturally true for God the son. They really go together and Christ shows us the father. And so look at the next verse. In Ephesians 5, verse 2, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as, now he says, Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. He weaves in really two sides of the same coin, the example of the father, the example of the son. And in a way though, in a special way, the son came incarnate in human flesh, to be our example in really a special way. He can show us the divine example in human form of what it looks like to, to, to be like God as a man. And so now we can look at Christ. When it comes to our examples, we have our divine examples. There's God the Father, and now God the Son. Christ as our supreme example. Turn to John 13. John 13, as you're turning, you know, I hope you know what this... In this chapter, you should think Jesus washing the disciples' feet in the upper room the night before his death. He has a little you know, dialogue with Peter, but we'll jump to verse 12, John 13, 12 through 17. It says, so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Next, in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. Why does he remind them that he is their teacher and Lord? What's he getting at by, by saying that? Why does, he, why does he say that first? <clears throat> okay, they called him teacher. He was their teacher. Well, what's his point? What's he getting at by, having, by reminding them he's their teacher and their Lord? 
Not quite. They, they should follow his example. That's not the point he's making. Standard. He's showing he's great. They should be serving him. He's their rabbi. He's their teacher. He's their Lord. They should be washing his feet. That's the point he's making. Like, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. I am. So you should be serving me. You're my servants. I'm the Lord. I'm the master. You're my slave. So say later, slave is not greater than his master. He's the master. You're servants. You should be doing this. But he did it. And, and that establishes a greater example that even though he does not need to be serving them, they should be serving him, but he still showed an example as their leader, as their master in serving them and left a more profound example because he was their master. He did that which was not expected of the master and, and drives the point home. He stooped down to serve them. And so we should do the same. We should follow his example in that regard. And the example, by the way, ties in with last week. It's that of being a, a sacrificial servant, a servant leadership example. And so we are to follow his example really in all things and serving others, loving others. We can go down the list. We can think of, like we learned last week, Philippians 2.5. Remember, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, pointing us back to the example of humility, regarding one another as more important than yourselves, looking out for the interests of others. Christ is our supreme example of that. Romans 15, 1 through 3, points to Christ as our example of living to please others, not just living to please ourselves. He says, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He, he didn't come just for himself, but to, to serve others. Romans 15, 7 says, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. We follow his example in showing grace to others and acceptance and mercy. 1 Peter 2, 21 tells us to suffer like Jesus. He says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. We know on the cross he did more than leave an example. He, he made atonement. But he also left an example of suffering to the glory of God. And so even in that, we are to follow his example. And Christ kind of put it all together in Matthew sixteen twenty four, where he said, you know the, the phrase, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. He invites modeling. He invites us to, to follow him. And, and we would say that's kind of an umbrella thing. We follow him in, in all ways, in all that he said, in all that he did, all that he believed, his actions, and, and so forth. You know, our problem after the fall is that we're rebels. We go our own way, and that's not the way of the Lord. We go the way of man, the way of the world. But Christ the Messiah came both to redeem, but also to, to, to point us back to the way of the Lord, right? Psalm 1, the two ways we, we were way off track, but in saving us, he also reorients us back to the way of the Lord and says, hey, just, I'll take you there, follow me. And he, he takes us back to the way of the Lord. Why did God save us? Why did God predestine us? There are many, many possible an, uh, answers to that question. Why don't you give me a few? Why did God save us? Praise of his glory. 
Yeah, would there be to, to Ephesians 2.10, good works? Oh, good answers. I'm, I'm looking for one answer, a, sp- a special answer. Maybe give me the answer using the word image in your answer. Why did God save us? To be conformed to Christ's image. Romans 8, 28, 29, one of the many answers you could give. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To become conformed to the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. One of God's purposes in saving us, even predestining us, was to create a family. Where Christ the son is like the elder brother. And in a manner of speaking, God wanted Christ to have many brothers and sisters. And now we're all children of God. But we must bear the family resemblance. (coughs) Excuse me. So God conforms us to the image of Christ. Cops coming back. At least I made it through this morning. All right. So I'd say examples are a big deal in the Christian life. Namely, the example of God the Father, God the Son. But that's not all. There are not only are the examples of the Father and Son that the most relevant for us, but God in His wisdom, He's also given us other examples to follow. Human examples, examples of godly men and women who have run the race before us. And these men and women, they serve as lesser examples, yes, but their examples can be helpful to us nonetheless. In fact, Scripture has quite a bit to say about the continued importance of our human examples. So let's look at these now, our human examples. But let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. He said, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. This is said in the context of Christian liberties, and Paul points to his own example. He does so often. He called on the church and other Christians to follow him often. Like Philippians 3.17. I want you to actually turn there as well, because we'll be looking at a few passages in Philippians. Philippians 3.17. Okay, Don, I'm going to pick on you to help me out a little bit since I feel the cough resuming. So why don't you read Philippians 3. You're going to be my reader now. Philippians 3.17. Join, Join in following my example, he exhorted them. And later in chapter 4, verse 9, he said, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, Paul called on the churches to follow his example often. And so we can't argue with the fact that, that human examples are valid. You think of Christ, well, he's, our only, he's the only example we need, and in a way that's true. But, well, Paul made pretty clear that human examples are valid. He put himself up as a human example for us to follow. We need to understand the right perspective, though. What are some of the limitations of human examples? Where does it fall short? Following Paul. He's a sinner, right? He, he, he does what is wrong, you know, from time to time or, or even often. What else? Not just action, but he's fallible. 
He's granted, when he wrote scripture, he was inspired by any person, for example, they could be full of error. They're not necessarily always telling the truth to follow their example could get you into trouble because they're sinners, they're fallen, and they're fallible. So if we are still sinners and we fall short, how can any human serve as an example? If we fall short for fallible, how can we be examples? Okay, being led by the Spirit. Yeah. Okay, we admit our shortcomings. Joey? Yeah. Like, is it possible for you to follow Christ? Yes, right? Not perfectly, but you can follow Christ. It's possible for you to follow Christ. And so look, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, to the degree that any person follows Christ, you can follow them. And that's what Paul is getting at. He knows he's not a perfect example. In fact, in Philippians 3, earlier in the chapter, in verse 12, he admitted that he's not perfect. He confessed he had not attained perfection. He had not reached glorification. He still falls short. He presses on toward the upward call. He not attained it, but he, he's a fallen example, but God can still use people as examples to the degree that any person follows Christ, we can follow them. In fact, there is one way humans can be an example for us that even Jesus cannot. So how is that? I'll let you think on it for a second, but give me your answer. How can humans, fellow humans, spiritual leaders, be an example for us in a way that even Christ cannot be an example for us. You had a quick hand, Dave. Yeah, we can't learn. That's one. It's, maybe I shouldn't have said one example. There's, there's several answers, but that's one big one, right? We cannot look to Christ and see like, hmm, how do you bounce back after falling into a huge sin? How do you repent? We can't see him by example teaching us that. Do you have a hand, Kevin, or was that someone else? Yeah, we won't see the negative example of him like falling like David. He came as the greater David. He never had a fall. So we, can, we'll not, we won't learn from his negative example. That's right. And Christ was the opposite. He was perfect. So what do we have that Christ did not on the inside? Sin, the flesh, right? We can't, he had... A, a perfect flesh, a non-fallen flesh, and you know, Adam before the fall, we would say. But in the category of Paul, like he didn't have the flesh, the sinful flesh. So we cannot see from Jesus an example of a, of a man wrestling a sinful flesh. He dealt with full temptation from without, but he never wrestled with uh, the sinful flesh. He did not have a sinful flesh. He did not have a sin nature, a sin-stained and sin-cursed nature. And so... We, cannot, we, can, we can learn from him in his teaching and all that he said and did and see what a perfect person looks like, but not by example when it comes to what a fallen person looks like in following Christ. And this is, I think, God's wisdom in giving us some spiritual leaders who can show us that they may be fallen and they're going to be a, an imperfect example. So we have to be careful in following people. We have to 
look at their life and match it up with Christ, of course, but as we see someone who is being faithful in general to follow Christ to the degree that they mimic Christ, well, we can follow them. And the value comes and they can show us how, how a fellow sinner can, can do this thing, can live the Christian life with all the hardships and the limitations and the difficulties. And that's how God uh, can use uh, human examples in our lives. And there's other examples in Scripture. In addition to Paul, there's, there's Peter, of course. You have several times that Paul points to the example of the Macedonian churches in their godly and sacrificial giving. Earlier in Philippians chapter 2, Paul highlights the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus, these fellow servants who were examples to the churches of sacrificial service, right? Great servant leaders, and the list goes on. So we've done some Bible study on our examples in life. We have examples given to us in Scripture, divine examples and human examples, both of which are used by God in different but complementary ways showing us how to live the Christian life, and and they're so valuable. But there's still more, that God has not only given us these historical examples in Scripture, you know, divine and human, but he has ordained that in the church there would be a generation of, in in each generation, living examples, spiritual leaders in the church, people we can actually talk to and have a a dialogue and and watch and literally see their example. This is a third string of examples, fresh for every generation of just godly men and women who can, who can say to us, hey, you, you're a new believer. You follow me as I follow Christ. I'll be an imperfect example to you, but just come along. Let me show you how, how to follow Christ, how to live this Christian life. And God is a special place for these spiritual leaders in every generation in the church. And this is where you come in. This is where we, we enter this chain of discipleship, this chain of examples, this cloud of witnesses. And as you grow in godliness and Christ-likeness in your own life, now you can be an example for others to follow. And so let's look now at our example. We studied our examples, the examples given for us to follow, divine and human. But here, when it comes to biblical leadership, we're going to find in this section, well, it's your turn. If you're to be a leader, it means you are to be an example. That's, that's a lot of what it means to be a leader in the church. Not all, but a lot to be an example. We focus on, you know, being a teacher, being a, a personality in some churches. But no, how about just be an example first? And you'll see how that qualifies you for leadership. So let's, let's look at this. Look at Philippians 3 again. Are you still there? If not, go back to Philippians 3. Don, I'll make you read it one more time, 17 through 19 this time, if you'd help me out. So look again, thanks, Don. Looking at verse 17, whose example are we to follow there? Two two answers. Paul and 
No, it's not, it's not, not obvious it's Christ, but not here. It, it says it's those, the others, who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So they set a pattern. Paul, the apostles, his associates set a pattern. Others followed that pattern. They, they mimic that pattern. He's calling them, hey, follow us and, and those with you who are following us, following our lead. It's a chain of leadership, a chain of examples. And why is it so important to follow the right examples from verses 18 and 19? Yeah. Yeah. Look, in a way, we're all followers. It's just part of human nature. Maybe 99.9% of us, we're, we're just sheep. We follow. And many just blindly follow, which gets them in a lot of danger. And he's saying, look, you're, you're going to follow and you need to follow people. Let's follow the right people. He uses the word walk. You know, follow those who, who walk according to our pattern. Because many walk and they're enemies of the cross, cross of Christ. They've, they've walked away. They've gone the other way. And, and look, we all follow some example in life. There's plenty of leadership examples out there or options. But the problem is that, you know, most people you might be tempted to follow or at least who are put before you to follow, especially in our culture, they're not going to lead you to Christ. Or to, they're not going to lead you God's way. Most of our leaders in our secular society, they're, they're going to lead you away from the way of the Lord. You just be careful whom you follow. Your leadership matters. In fact, one of the chief tests of a biblical leader is his godly example. So follow the leader. Follow the right leader. And, and that's not just Paul. It's those, all those who walk according to the pattern. Really the pattern of, of Christ, the pattern of godliness. Those are ones you can follow. And, and shouldn't that be you? Shouldn't you follow the pattern that others can, can mimic you? And flip also to Philippians 4.9 again. We'll read that one more time. You want to do it again, Don? Philippians 4.9? I'll just, might as well. <clears throat> Now look at this verse. He says, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Could you say this verse as a leader? Maybe like right now. If, if you were you know, a leader, if people were following you, could you say this with good conscience, clear conscience? I think we might want to settle for the first three. Like, hey, everything you've learned from me and received from me and everything I've said, everything you've heard from me, just, yeah, go with all that. Don't pay so much attention to everything you've seen in me. Just stick with what you've heard, like, you know, my teaching. This is the, the leader would say, do as I say, not as I do. But no, we as leaders were first qualified by what we do. So we have to be able to, to tell people, like, hey, follow everything I've said, everything I've taught according to Scripture, and then also everything you've seen in me. That we should at least aspire to that level of example, as Paul was able to say with a, a clear conscience. Again, it's, it's imperfect. We fall short. But that doesn't that include how we repent? Like, you know, like I've, I've blown it several times, but hopefully I show humility, brokenness, repentance. Follow that too. Again, another way we can follow Christ or follow others that we can't follow Christ. Just an example of uh, brokenness over sin. First Peter 5, 3 
Now, two and three, it tells us, you know, shepherd the flock of God among you. And then he says in verse three, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. This is a call primarily to elders, but as we learned last week, you can apply all the principles to all spiritual leadership. And so it's a call not to lord and domineer over people, but to be examples to the flock. As we mentioned last week, this is the, the difference between a shepherd who leads his sheep from behind, you know, beating them into compulsion or, or into compliance rather, versus the shepherd who leads from in front and just says, follow me. We can't make people do anything, but we can show the way and say, well, here's the way. I'm going that way. You can come along if you like. Follow me to lead out in front. In First Peter, he says, uh, be, prove yourself an example for the flock. The word is tupos, type. It means to be stamped or marked, to, to leave an impression or make an impression. <clears throat> I remember a Washington, D.C. trip. I think it was sixth grade with my, with my school. Went to the Vietnam Memorial, I believe. I mean, they gave us pieces of paper and some pencils. You put it on the memorial and you trace, you trace a name. Just as a, a memento and just a, something to think about tracing a name of someone who, who died in, in Vietnam. But that, that's, that's an illustration of this word, for example. Just, it's an impression, a, a tracing. And we are to be impressions of Christ, a little tracing of Christ. And we're going to be not the real thing. We're not going to be as good as the real thing. But we are to be an impression. And although imperfect, hopefully we can still be a good impression of Christ and, and lead others that they would see in us a, you know, a decent, a good, a sanctified impression of Christ. Now let's turn to the pastorals to get some more of this. 1 Timothy 4.12. Why don't you turn there? 1 Timothy 4.12. <clears throat> the pastorals, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, so relevant for church leadership, spiritual leadership. And as Paul instructs Timothy as a spiritual leader, he's instructing all of us who are or who aim to be spiritual leaders. And so what he says to him, he in a strong way says to us, you do well to learn from this. 1 Timothy 4.12. One of my theme verses, especially when I started out in pastoral ministry young, you know, I entered seminary 24, 23, 24. So this is like a life verse, back, at least back then. You know, let no one look down on your youthfulness but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. There's a key verse in showing us the different categories in which we should be an example. Speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. You could, there's a sermon in all five of those right there, but leave that to you to, to meditate on more. But think about all the different areas that we are called to be an example, not, not just one or two, but just the, the whole list. Just look at Christ in all, in all of his ways. We are to follow him and be an example in all those ways. And in our day and age, I look at speech, I look at purity, I look at conduct. I mean, all these, all the more relevant in this age where there, there's, there's few examples uh, of, of godliness or even just plain morality any longer. <clears throat> now also go to Titus 2, <clears throat> another pastoral passage here, just flip the page to the right, a couple books, Titus 2. <clears throat> In a similar way, he urges Titus, Titus 2, 7 and 8. 
It says, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. You know, Mark Twain said, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example, <clears throat> end quote. It just means there are some figures, maybe like an opposing political opponent, that you want to hate, you want to tear them down, but they're just such a good person. They're a good example. They, they don't do anything wrong. They have an upright life. And you can't, can't really tear them down. You can't say anything bad about them. It just makes it hard to oppose them. And that, that should be all the more true for us in the church, that hey, if they're going to hate us, they're going to hate Christ and the gospel. And we're not going to be wicked. We're going to just be upright. <clears throat> and uh, that they will have nothing bad to say about us through our example of good deeds. I'll read for you Hebrews 13, 7. It says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. Speaking of spiritual leaders in the church, as you see them, as you see the fruit, you see Christ in them, well, we'll follow them. Imitate their faith. You know, put it all together in this lesson, our time is about up. And so is my voice. But it's, it's a simple lesson, right? Just be an example. If you are a godly leader, if you are to be a godly leader, you must be an example. You as a biblical leader must enter this chain of discipleship and modeling Christ. You have to be able to say with humility, but still, follow me as I follow Christ. With all imperfections, but still, as I follow Christ, follow me. And so aspire to this. Grow in Christ-likeness in your own life. Do that now. For those of you who aren't in leadership, but maybe aspire to, well, this is where, this is where you begin pretty much. Just focus on your life. Just your own following of Christ as an example. You know, along these lines, you can ask yourself some questions about even your involvement at, at this little local church. Are you being an example? Are you following Christ's example and being an example? Are you one who, we might say, comes early and stays late? Or are you always late and you leave early? Just think about that. We've talked about this, this shepherding mindset in leadership. The, the one who, who comes early, stays late. Not because they're earning brownie points before God or, or earning some favor. Just like this is, this is where the church assembles. This is like shepherding prime time, man. Where people are here, I, I want to be here. To serve, to be served, to help, to pray. Who's going to have that shepherding mindset? <clears throat> also, are you just involved and excited to follow Christ with one another at this church? That you're, you're committed to the work of the ministry? Or it's kind of not so much, you're an attendee. If there's nothing better to do, you'll be here. It's just kind of the level of, of commitment to the Lord and, and the work of the ministry. Now, my previous church, <clears throat> pretty much none of the other elders and pastors attended the Sunday night service and Bible study. They started wondering, like, how come no one's showing up? Well, it kind of starts with the top, right? If, if, if the other, if like the leaders of the church think there's like better things to do or they, they prioritize pretty much other things over the Sunday night service, well, what do you expect? Also, do you, do you volunteer to help out? Do you have to be asked to do something? 
Will you serve in the simple ways, even if there's no glory, like just folding chairs or cleaning coffee, or only when you're noticed? Do you think of others? Do you think of ways you can serve others? Are you mostly just focused on yourself, and the only thought you put into the church is how your own personal experience can be improved? And then, of course, there's your character, your morals, your personal life. I'm not just talking on Sundays, but beyond Sundays. You know, if someone were to, to follow you around, you know, they're not going to see a perfect life, but are they going to see a double life? Are they going to see someone who is seeking to follow Christ and repenting, but, but, but have, has a life of purity and devotion, someone who's faithful or not? You know, speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Will they see someone who, who's faithful and pursuing the Lord or not? And, and way you can ask, you know, what if... Everybody in the church was just a clone of you. So you got a church and just, everyone's just, just like you. Would that be a godly church or not? It's kind of a scary thought, right? <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of vices would that church have? What kind of holes and blind spots would that church have? And how would they be you know, excelling? It's a scary thought, convicting thought. It's a good thought, though. We, we are to be that type of example where we, we would uh, want others to follow us. Not because we're great, but just we're following Christ and we want to bring them along. And so look, we all need to excel still more. So do so. Let this conviction sit and settle in your heart where you just just start by striving to follow Christ just for itself. Just just to follow Christ, just just for that alone, to the glory of God, just to be like Christ, which is one of the reasons that that God saved us. And as you do so, you're going to find that the more you are like him, the more you're conformed to his image, well, God is going to now start using you to lead others and to help others and to shepherd others. He's going to use your example naturally to point others to Christ. And that's, that's how leaders are, are born and bred. Uh, or I should say bred rather than born. They're, they're, they're molded. We really look for the people who are modeling Christ and already living like Christ. And those are the ones who are, are ready to kind of take a more formal step and biblical leadership. So let that be you, and really for all of us, let's excel still more that the image of Christ would be fully formed in us as well. This is the example of uh, biblical leadership. Well, hey, right on time. Let's go ahead and pray, and then if you have questions, you can come up after. Lord, we, we praise you for your grace in giving us your word and, and giving us examples you tell us what to do. We need to be told what to do. In our fallenness, we've in many ways become blind to your word, your will, what is good and right. So you've shown us the way. You've told us, and then you've shown us. You've set yourself up as our supreme example. You gave us Christ, God incarnate, to be a flesh example for us, a perfect man, the God-man, to show us the way. You appoint apostles and prophets and scripture to show us the way and even living examples godly leaders in every age that we can follow that you can use to show us how to live this christian life and i pray now that we take this upon ourselves that by your grace and through the power of your spirit we would be the next generation of, of these living examples spiritual leaders in your church that we can say with humility but yet a, a clear conscience that follow me as i follow christ And we just aim to show people Christ. We aim to be conformed in our own lives and and that others too would be conformed to his perfect image for that is good and, and right. And so work in us, convict us, 
and help us to be, uh, help us to excel still more in following him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.